is not what I am, even though my zip code has changed. I might smile and enjoy where I'm currently employed. Your soul can't be rearranged. But it's hard to understand. It's so hard to understand. Farewell, fam. It's episode 11 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and with me, as always, is J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. Today we'll run through our picks for Brewers MVP, Cy Young, and other team awards, and we'll also go through some guys that they recently parted ways with and who's going to receive a pay bump in arbitration this year. Just a reminder that we want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKETailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. You can also follow Ryan, JP, and myself on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Twitter bio. And you can now find Milwaukee's Tailgate on Disciples of Euchre, so check out disciplesofeuchre.com for great Brewers content. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create professional-sounding podcasts, check out the MixPre 3 or MixPre 6, and for more information, you can visit sounddevices.com. Okay, well, we're officially in the offseason this year, and so I guess I'd check in. You know, Ryan, I know you have season tickets. Um, how many games did you get to this season? At Miller Park, about, I don't know, 25 to 30-ish, probably. Okay, so you... Between, you know, free tickets and work events and whatever else. Yeah, so yeah. You, you clearly eclipse both JP and myself as far as number of games that you could get to. Sure. Yeah. So and you so some of those are season tickets and you're up in the what section four four twenty two for most of that between the green pillars, Steve. Yeah, that's that's a callback to years ago um, on the uh, uh, what was the it was site? on the Journal Sentinel. The Journal Sentinel. Yeah, yeah, they had a blog on there. So JP, how many games did you get to this year? Uh, one. Well, I mean, Chicago. I went. I went to. I went to other games, but I went to one Brewers game this year. Yeah, in Chicago. No, it was at Miller Park. He was saying he went to other games. He went to one game at Miller Park this year. Got yes. it. Okay. Okay. We, we got that now? I'm caught up. Okay. <laughs> um, and, I mean, obviously, there was a big upgrade at Miller Park this year. They redid the concessions and everything. But, I mean, what did you think compared to past years? Uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, I guess I didn't necessarily think about the concessions too much um, because I, I, I don't drink, and so it – and we usually eat before we get in. We usually do some grilling and, and whatnot before then, so I don't necessarily go to the concessions all that much, so it's not high on my radar. But, um, I mean, from what I could tell, it seemed like it was a nice upgrade. Yeah, it was, a, was- it, it was a massive upgrade, too. I mean, they didn't just kind of redo a few things, but that whole, I, I mean, the, the space you have to actually walk around now is quite a bit larger, plus, yeah, the facilities are just a lot nicer than they had been in the past, so... And the variations in the food are a big noticeable thing. We tried because we're there so much. We often will eat before we get there, but we made an effort to go around and kind of try the different things that were available. And for the most part, everything that I had was was quite edible. Yeah, it's not it just fine. it's not just mashed potato <laughs> parfaits anymore. No, they've definitely they've definitely added to, and especially you know, I like the fact that you're bringing in some local like Smoke Shack. You're actually using local restaurants. And what's the the Mexican one? I think is agave or I forget what one that is. But yeah, yeah. I mean, and that was that was on my wife. Or no, it's AJ really, AJ Bombers. AJ Bombers. They, they had been there before. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 
But yeah, they instead of being relegated just to that little tent outside with uh, Smoke Shack where they had been, they now are you know fully integrated into the the whole system. And yeah, it was it was nice. Like that that was an improvement. And I also very much did appreciate the uh, the craft beer stand over in on the Loge section in uh, right field. Yeah. That was, you know, and especially because it was almost entirely or entirely local. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, when I was up in Minnesota, Target Field was excellent with their both craft beer selection in terms of Summit, in terms of some of the other microbrews around there, like Insight and things like that. But um, they also had local, like, just even in terms of like local sausage in terms of local meat available that they had, you know, people actually there carving meat for sandwiches and things like that, which was nice. And I was surprised that Miller park didn't have a lot more integration with, with the local craft brewery scene and things like that. So I, it was nice to be able to see the brewers step it up when other area stadiums were already doing that a few years ago. So I, in that regard, like th- those were things that I, I noticed when I was there too. Um, certainly, give the ballpark for fans like thinking of it as a destination and and trying to still make sure that you're getting people going to games, especially when the team wasn't necessarily expected to be good or might not be good in the future. Making sure that it can still be an event and it doesn't have to be all about the product on the field always, because in terms of sust- sustaining attendance, I think that's important. Well, and I think there's also the case that when people come in from, you know, outside of Milwaukee, they generally just come in to the stadium, you know, yeah. go to the game and then head out afterwards. So it is good to have more of that local uh, presence in the ballpark. I think just, you know, basically you're helping give more notoriety to to local businesses and stuff like that around town. Yeah. So obviously the more they can they can integrate uh, that into the ballpark, I think the better it yeah. is for. Well, you know, because there's a, there's a big argument when you know you talk about taxpayer funded stadiums, mm-hmm. the money comes in, it goes into the owner's pocket, everybody leaves, and it doesn't really get out to the rest of the uh, the city. It doesn't really bring bring a big boost to the economy. So obviously, if you can have more local restaurants that are getting uh, something out of people coming to the ballpark, local breweries, any anybody else that's providing you know services or food or anything like that, it's obviously going to be good, I think, for everybody all around. And yeah, and we don't want to go to the ballpark for the same thing you can get everywhere at the other you know thirty plus stadiums around the the country. Well, certainly, and I know that at some of the baseball prospectus events in the past, when people were coming up from Chicago or even coming in from the East Coast, if we had you know BP editors or or just people coming in because. Uh, you know, there are only so many BP events, like people wanted to come in and they wanted to, to drink local beer, you know, like, like a lot of BP, like more of the stat heads or people like us, right? Like tend to not, they want to, to enjoy, there's, you know, the Venn diagram between craft beer enthusiasts and, uh, and, and baseball stat heads, I think is pretty high from what I can tell via Twitter. I yes. think it's one overlapping circle for the most part. Yes. <laughs> and, and maybe I like, I am the one person who sits on the outside. Um, <laughs> and so I do think that like those sorts of things are nice. And, and I know that a lot of the other BP writers were talking about, and this was uh, two years ago that I thought uh, I'm thinking of in which we brought a lot of people not from the Midwest to the actual BP event, but they were all talking about, you know, like we were bringing in local beer for the tailgate because it wasn't available in Miller Park itself. 
And a lot of people were lamenting the fact that once we got into the stadium, you know, they were like the beer we were drinking beforehand was way better than anything we're getting in here. Yeah, there that, were that's places. all clearly changed. Yeah, there there are a few stands that used to be that you'd get basically in a cooler you could find. And stuff. then last year that actually trimmed down, and that was unfortunate. That actually, yeah, that was a big step backwards. And then they took the big step forward this year, though having to go down to that one particular stand in right field is a little bit of a pain. It's a hall, but first off, that bar is really big. There's plenty of space, and they they have it well-staffed. And and second, like, it was a huge selection. I mean, you were going into some breweries that, I mean, unless you really follow the local brewery scene in the state closely. Right. Like, I, even I was kind of like, I think I've heard of that one, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Um, one thing I will say, I, this summer I made it to, I think I counted this up, but I think it was like my 15th big league stadium when I went to Kansas City, and... One of the things that I've noticed is Milwaukee, and I don't know if people realize this, we're very unique in that we have the bar shuttle system to Miller Park that is used by a lot of people. We use it frequently, especially on weeknights, to be able to go park someplace out of the lot so you're not dealing with the the traffic. And then you take the shuttle into the uh, – and it's generally free with you know a drink or with dinner or whatever that you grab – and you take the shuttle down into the park, that is not commonplace. It's really fairly, I don't know if it's completely unique, but it's at least fairly unique because I haven't seen too many other places that have operated that way. And it's nice. It's a, it's a good way for the, again, for the community to benefit from the presence of the stadium and for local businesses to see a, a real tangible boost to their business that way. What yeah, tar- Target Field does that throughout the entire Twin Cities. So they also have because I didn't notice that we we took the train in when I went to Target Field well, last summer. Yeah, a lot of people take in the train, but there were a few bars right around where uh, my wife and I lived in St. Paul that always had shuttles both to the Gophers to uh, U.S. Bank Stadium for the Vikings and also for all of the Twins games at Target Field. Oh, okay. So well, there are there are like I said, there are others, but like I asked the question in Kansas City this summer, and the guy looked at me like. Well, we don't run an airport shuttle, or we don't run a shuttle from the hotel. And I'm like, no, 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 like a bar. And he's like, a bar shuttle to the. And I'm like, okay, never mind. It's clearly, clearly, it's not happening. I I think what's unique about Milwaukee and and Miller Park is that it has, it's, it's in the city, so like there's clearly you know neighborhoods and stuff like that around Miller Park, but it has a large parking lot. Like it's, it's on the edge. Too. Yeah. I mean, but you, you generally don't get something that's like in, in a populated area with that expansive of a parking area as well. Right. Yeah. And that was part of why. I mean, I remember when the debate was going on. I had not moved down here yet, but I remember the debate in the 90s. And I kind of do wonder. They had talked about some of the different places that Miller Park could have ended up, like on the lakefront. Yeah. Perhaps. I think they were maybe talking about in south of the Summerfest grounds on the lakefront. Yeah, I thought it was kind of getting more towards Bayview or kind of that area. Yeah, yeah and they, they were kind of considering that, but people wanted the parking lot and the tailgate scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, yeah, which is, it, I, I kind of go back and forth on that because that could be a really, really special, you know, skyline view, depending on how it was situated and how it was all set up. I mean, you have something kind of really special there. And yeah, Miller Park. I think I think that the tailgating scene at Miller Park is what makes Miller Park and and Brewers games in general makes it special. I mean, right. I can't tell you how many non-Brewers fans we've taken from 
you know, when I was at U Chicago or when we were at Notre Dame and we brought a, a couple of friends up or even when we were in Minnesota and would just drop down, like everyone always comments how much they enjoy being able to go out and tailgate and just the feel of everybody coming out to have a party and cook out for a couple of hours before going into the ball game. Like everyone loves it, regardless of, you know, they're baseball fans or even if they're Brewers fans in general. Um, and it's so weird it's when you're not allowed thing. to do it elsewhere. It feels <laughs> yeah. so weird. Like the time we got denied down at Tinley Park. Yeah. We were like all set to like camp out. Just like going cool. anywhere. Well, yeah, because anywhere in Wisconsin, it seems like tailgating is available. And um, they were they were running through that parking lot telling people, no, put your grills away. Put your coolers away. Yeah, exactly. No, we won't well, have and, that. And, you know, Milwaukee always does well attendance wise. Uh, considering the market. And I think a lot of that has to do with the tailgate scene because people can just plan on, you know, go, a, a games and event for the entire day. So yeah. people just plan on doing that. Like we're going to have a little bit, we're going to have a party. We're going to go see a ball game and, you know, make a day of it. And I think mm-hmm. that always helps kind of with attendance. Like people are going to go regardless where if you're locked in by city streets and there's nothing else to do, but go directly to the ball game or, you know, head out in the neighborhood, I think then that's where you can kind of see that, you know, bad teams are going to drag attendance way down where the Brewers yeah. tend to still float up. All right. Even if the team, well, well it's, how, it's how you get so many kids there too, right? Like exactly. families want to go because you just let your kids go play ball for a while or throw, throw the baseball around, you know, you can play bags or whatever. And just, have, and then all the adults can sit and grill and, and relax or they can play as well. But like, you know, going to target field or, or going to Wrigley or, uh, going to us, what's it called? Guaranteed rate field now for, for the, the white Sox. Um, like those things you do notice that there are far fewer children there and it's, you know, it's, it's much more difficult to say, you know, we're bringing the children, we have to walk into the ballpark and then you have to be able to sit and watch the game the whole time. And yeah, maybe you'll get some cotton candy or ice cream or, or popcorn or whatever, but like, that's going to be your entertainment instead of like, you go and kids are just going to play with their friends for a couple hours while everybody sits and relaxes and you eat and then you can pop in and then you don't have to spend a hundred dollars at the concessions buying, you know, eight children for like three families or whatever and buying food for everybody because that gets pretty expensive. So if you can handle it that way, I think it becomes a lot more palatable for families. Yeah. I think the other thing they do pretty well is they have the getaway day, uh, day games, yes. which a lot of, a lot of teams don't have that. And I think they, they try to get tickets in the hands of a lot of uh, kids and community groups and stuff like that. Um, schools, especially yeah, school, in, yeah, in April and May. Yeah. Well, that's April and May. And then in the summer, they, I think, community groups, community boys groups and girls and clubs, like that, which various, yeah. I think it's good. I think a lot of other, uh, there are a lot of other cities that don't do that. And that's why, you know, we were like, well, why, why don't, why isn't it a day, a day game for a getaway day in, you know, Pittsburgh or something like that? And I think, yeah. you know, they just don't make it a point um, the way Milwaukee does, I think, as far as, Getting tickets into kids' hands and community groups and stuff like that. Which and is at any rate, the other thing, too, um, we were talking about attendance. The Brewers did end up at uh, right around 2.5 million this yeah, year. They did go over a they little, were, by a little bit. And compare that with Cleveland, and they were, there was kind of a big deal made about the fact that Cleveland had seen a pretty big increase, and they were right about 2 million. And this is the defending American League champs and... You that know, looked a team like that was in contention all year. And yeah, then, it wasn't like they had one season where they made it to the World Series and then who knew what was going to happen. I mean, they were coming back as contenders. Yeah. I mean, and a big part of that, I think, you know, is the dome because the dome gives the flexibility where you know there's going to be a game. You know, you're not going to be sitting out in miserable garbage weather early in nope. the season. Yeah. I mean, that my family always, 
felt much more comfortable buying tickets at Miller Park coming in from Addison and we could buy the tickets a month ahead of time. Didn't matter. You knew there was going to be a game. Right. Didn't it have to op- worry about anything. It opens up th- th- to being a much more regional team because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, you know, with people coming in, even from the exurbs and, you know, maybe coming down from the Fox Valley, like you said, Madison area, which is what the hell's an exurb, the, the farther out suburbs. You never heard that term before. They, is that like extra burbs? It's the exit. You really have never heard. That's a, that's a thing. No. I, the, sure. the listeners know it's a thing. You cannot <laughs> believe me, but the listeners know I'm, I'm not making this up. Exurbs nope. is a thing. It's far out suburbs. They're like, are t- no, I think those used to just be called towns. Yeah. That's like, that is so like an exurb of Chicago would be DeKalb that you have to drive through like 45 minutes of cornfields. No, I think it's, Mil- if, it's Milwaukee, if, isn't it? Exurbs. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> oh. If people are uh, commuting in from like far distances, yes, that's an exurb. People go, people uh, travel in from Madison to go to work in Milwaukee. Sure. So it's Madison, an Madison's an exurb of Milwaukee, I guess. No, that's bullshit. I think that would no. be the other way around. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> uh, we did have some. Pol- <laughs> that that you know that is true. We're all from the Madison area. <laughs> we are. So that that bias exists a little bit. Um, okay, so we did have some player movement uh, in the past week. Um, we had a few guys that the Brewers aren't bringing back next year. They elected for uh, free agency: Willie Peralta, Michael Blazak, Kurt Neuenheis, and David Goforth. Um, any thoughts on any of those guys not coming back to the Brewers unless they decide to uh, tender them a contract, I guess? Good luck. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what we're guys. saying to everybody. Good luck to all these guys. Yeah, certainly. I would expect – I mentioned it in a G-chat earlier this week. I think Willie Peralta is made for Miami. I think, oh, yeah, you did. I think that Willie Peralta, Miami, having a guy who throws hard, sinker baller. I mean, they have that with uh, Henderson uh, Alvarez – I think I, that or his name is inverted, um, you know, whether I always forget uh, whether it was, you know, Jared Cozart or whomever, like Miami loves big body guys with just big fastballs and hope it can fit. Well, the, and, the, the Padres used to be that way, but the Padres are like doing their own thing now. And Peralta just seems like a guy that like somebody's going to look at him and say, OK, we have something to work with. Let's see if we can turn him into the guy. I think everybody hoped he would be at some point. And right. he seems like a guy who may need changes of scenery, maybe more than one before I mean, he, he like what he needs is a better slider, but yes. It, yes, or figuring something else out, tinkering enough around with the approach and maybe adding pitches and seeing what else might work. But yes. He needs there needs to be some sort of improvement and so hopefully hopefully it works for him and hopefully it works for all these guys, but yeah, they're They've sort of reached the end of their their run with the Brewers, and that's it. I mean, what's disappointing is that Willie did show at points that like he was going to be a major league pitcher. I mean, he looked like more of the major league guy than Jimmy Nelson did early on. Right, and when you throw a mid-90s sinker, mid to high-ish 90s sinker, like there aren't many guys that throw that. That's That's a very unique pitch, and it will get him extra looks. That's going to get him more looks than what we just saw here. So. Yeah, I still think that Peralta is better off long-term as a reliever, but I just don't know if – I couldn't tell if he just wasn't into it. I mean, his body language always looked like he was fighting it or he was just not having it as a reliever. Um, and I don't know how much of that is just he was struggling with his command, so he looked a little bit uncomfortable, unhappy, 
you know, whatever, whatever term you want to put in there. But Willie Peralta just didn't look. It didn't look comfortable. You're right. No, and I don't know what it was. Like, I actually thought it was a shoulder. Like, he injured his shoulder for a while. Like, it, there was one game in which it looked like he just was fighting an injury. And I think he was just, he didn't know how to, you know, maybe prepare to, to pitch out, or, out of the bullpen, uh, how to pitch without having regular routines. And maybe he needs to figure out what that routine is, you know, over a spring training season or, or what have you. Um because I still think if he is going to find success, I do think it's a, as a reliever. And, you know, I don't know. Like, it's it's a really weird situation in which it, you get reminded, and we've talked about it a lot, that not everybody can make it as a reliever just because they've got big stuff. And it's, you know, there there are things about routine. There are things about being able to plan for and mentally prepare for when you're going to, when you're going to come in. You sequence different as a reliever. Um, you attack lefties and righties different because you can play your matchups more. Uh, it's, and I just don't know if like he needs time to get there or if he's just not going to be able to, to be comfortable with it. But I do think he'll get a look in, in Miami if, if anywhere. Uh, JP, are you surprised that he's never been more of a strikeout pitcher? I mean, even in his best season, um, back in 2014, I mean, he was only like seven strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, no, because his, his off speed stuff isn't very good. Right, he didn't have the I mean, put-away pitches. Yeah, I mean, you can you can definitely have one of those things in which you have a big a big sinker, but he's never been a swing and miss guy with the fastball either. Whether it's a four seamer or the or the sinker, and whether it was messing around with his changeup and then giving up on it, or whether you know for a while he kind of had two different sliders that he he had a slower one that he could throw for strikes, and then he had one that had more of a, more of a vertical drop that he threw a little bit harder as a put away pitch, but then he kind of scrapped that. So it was weird, but it largely it was, he just didn't have a swing and miss pitch. And that was pretty evident. That was pretty evident when he first came up Um, and you just thought that he was going to develop it, or you thought that the slider was going to get tighter, or you thought something was going to change and it just became more of the same as it went along. I mean, yeah, if you say a guy can throw, consistently you know he, he's sitting in the mid 90s and he's got a hard slider and that that fastball is always talked about being a heavy sinking fastball yeah I, you know the idea that he just couldn't throw past guys at times was i, I don't know i guess i always thought he was least baffling develop something that was a little bit more uh playable than what he was especially with the number of guys he put on base even at his best he was still you know whips and like the 1.3s and stuff like that so he was never great at keeping guys off base no. So, um, okay. So uh, those are the guys that probably, well, will not be back with the Brewers next year. And then we have the guys who are starting to hit arbitration. Um, so they have a few cases that are going to be interesting. Uh, Chase Anderson is in his second year of arbitration. Uh, he made $2.45 million in uh, 2017. And obviously uh, this was a season that I think people were um, pretty pleased at the way he broke out in um as probably the second best pitcher uh, on the team behind Jimmy Nelson. Um, Ryan, what do you think he's going to get this season in arbitration? Like how big of a pay bump is he going to get? How much did this basically influence like what he's going to get going forward? Yeah. I mean, he has to get a sizable raise off of what he was making last year. Um, Depending the arbitration system is archaic and weird in that it looks at things like wins and losses, which front offices generally aren't, you know, really paying for anymore, but arbitration still pays for that. And, he was 12 and 4 this year, correct? 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. He was 12 and four. I mean, he will get a substantial raise. I would guess looking at some just kind of eyeballing some comps from last year's arbitration classes. I think, you know, somewhere in the five to six million dollar range would make a lot of sense for him in, in terms of a raise. He's not going to get top of the line starter money, but he's going to see a substantial bump from what he did because he, he improved substantially. So and you also part of the thing that people have to understand with arbitration is that even if you don't improve, you from one year to the next stand to get raises because the system is set up that it pays you on seniority. So as you get even if you were if you were to be the exact same player two years in a row, you would still get a substantial raise from say your first year of arbitration to your second year just because that's how the system works. Yeah. Hey JP, what do you think of Chase Anderson going into twenty eighteen? Because I mean obviously it was great run prevention this year uh, when he was on the mound. You know, he missed time with the uh, the hamstring issue. But, like, uh, DRA on baseball prospectus had him at more of a four ERA pitcher as far as uh, run prevention is concerned. So, I mean, he was more of a Zach Davies type than, you know, closer to the, the you know, at least team ace that he was this season. Yeah, I think that it's a pretty good bet that Chase Anderson will take a step backwards next year. It's just a matter of how much, because there are a lot of things to actually like about what he's doing, whether or not it was the fact that he had a little bit of a, you know, velocity bump or whatever you want to call it. But he's, he developed an ability to finally handle uh, both sides of the plate. Um, you know, he was able to throw his his curveball that he, he had uh, some, some tweaks to his curveball and he's been able to throw that better. And he's got four pitches that he can throw at any part of the count. And that is the kind of guy that you want. I mean, that's what we say about, you know, guys like Zach Davies, but Chase Anderson's got better stuff than, than Zach Davies does. Um, and so if Chase Anderson can continue to command the baseball, if he can make sure that he can command both sides of the plate, he can handle lefties and righties. And if his curveball continues to develop in the way that it has been, and his fastball still, you know, he can maintain the velocity bump, which is always a really dangerous thing to assume. You know, he can still be a very good mid-rotation pitcher. Uh, I I would hesitate to think that Chase Anderson can be, you know, a low three ERA pitcher again next year. I think that that would be a tough ask. Um, do you think that are, – are there particular areas you see where he could grow, where he could become – uh, it, to improve the underlying numbers so that even though he might take a step back in comparison to what his peripherals were. Um, yeah, but I mean, this is a guy could that he we take a step forward that way. Is there, is there a room to grow? I mean, is there a big potential command jump he could make? Well, this, or something this is like a that? guy we're talking about who had a velocity spike this season, right? I mean, you know, so well to end last year, really? Sure. But when you're talking about like what improvements can he make? I mean, he just kind of made a big improvement. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I was just wondering I if there was additional that you saw as possible. I mean, I, I don't think there was much more he could have done this year, um, to be honest. I think that one of the things that he was able to do that helped him is his his batting average on balls in play was about 260, 265-ish. And he was able to, you know, avoid the free passes. And if he can continue to command all four of his pitches to be able to make sure that he can – you know, keep the keep the strikeout increase that he's found with his curveball that he's found with, you know, his velocity increase. If he can find that and still make sure that he's not offering any free passes, he can still be successful. But 
I don't think that we should get into a situation in which we think that, you know, he had a 2.7 or 2.74 ERA this year. And to think that we're going to be in a situation where he's going to be a sub three ERA guy every, every year. I mean, even his, even if we do look at his CFIP, which on baseball perspectives looks at, you know, compared to the league, how good do his peripherals suggest he will be going forward it has him as a 94, which is 6% better than league average, right? So that that's still a good pitcher, um, but, you know, it is only 6% better. It's not, you know, the sub three, you know, potential number two starter that everybody was able to see this year. So I think that it's important that we do temper it. Okay, so we got a couple of relief pitchers also uh, they're going to be dealing with this season. Uh, Carlos Torres and Jeremy Jeffress. Jeffress is in his second year of arbitration. Uh, Taurus is in his third. They were both making around $2 million this season. Um, what do you think the Brewers do with those two, Ryan? Uh, big pay increases or, you know, like Torres, is that somebody they even keep around? If I had to guess at this point, I would guess that they do bring Jeffress back and see what they can, if they can continue to build on that second half post-trade uh, breakthrough that he seemed to have where he was considerably better than he had been with Texas. It is funny. I just assume that they're bringing back Jeffress. I do. I think that that's very likely. Torres, they like Torres. They clearly have a thing for him where they think he's better than maybe the common perception is, which, you know, that could that could be perfectly true. Um, I, I mean, guess he, there's, he pitched innings. He didn't really do anything, I think, that we were excited about. Well, and he was much better in 2016 than he was in 2017. Yeah. He was, he, he's the kind of guy who's important because he has a rubber arm. You can use him on multiple days. He can go multiple innings. He, he's very flexible that By way. By the way, this was his age 34 season. Right, and he, he is getting older now and all of that. I would guess they don't bring him back, but I think it's pretty close to a coin flip. Um, I think that maybe you could potentially see something happen with him like happened with one of the other guys we're going to talk about in just a minute with Jared Hughes, where he got the arbitration settlement and it was, you know, so they were set to go that way. And they decided in spring training, we have enough depth in our bullpen. We don't need to bring this guy back. And they released him. And that's how Jared Hughes ended up in Milwaukee was, you know, the, uh, the pirates basically just decide we didn't, we don't need this guy anymore. So something like that, if that were to happen with Torres, that would not shock me. But we'll see. They do definitely. They they definitely seem to like him. So JP, do you have any uh, thoughts on relievers that aren't uh, Corey Knebel, who we're going to talk about in a minute or two? I think, as far as Jeremy Jeffress is concerned, I do think he comes back. I think he comes back just in terms of clubhouse presence. He comes back, and Craig Council clearly liked him by the end of the year. I mean, he was giving him high leverage innings. So I think that it shows council's belief in, in somebody like Jeffress. I think that obviously his pension for the walk is, is difficult, but you know, his ground ball, his ground ball rate was with the Brewers was 67%. I mean, it was ridiculous. That's amazing. But Carlos Torres, I'd be surprised if he comes back. I think that Carlos Torres biggest, the biggest benefit that he brought is he was a veteran presence who could help bring along some of the, some of the younger relievers that they wanted to mentor. He was, somebody that they could rely on to throw 70, 80 innings at least out of the bullpen if needed. But I don't necessarily think he brings anything to the table that the Brewers couldn't find on the waiver wire in March if they need it. Or with the next guy we were going to talk about, which was Jared Hughes. Sure, yes, you want to talk about Jared Hughes, who, yeah, I, I meant to actually lump him in with this group. 
Yeah. So, I, but yeah, I, Hughes Hughes made uh, he was just shy of a million dollars this year. The Pirates he was going to make two point eight, and they let him go. So Hughes again is another guy who's you know he's he was just in his age thirty one season. It's not really a young arm by any means. So um, and he had a pretty nice season for the Brewers. I mean, it, it was better late. I think. Sure. Some opinions formed of him early that he was more of a mop up guy you didn't want to see come in, and then throughout the year he was just kind of steady and. Yeah, he threw 60 innings, which is a pretty uh, decent number. I mean, that's obviously not one of the guys you're leaning on hard at all times, but, you know, he's clearly getting a lot of appearances, and he did it at, you know, he ended up with a 302 ERA. So, I mean, his run prevention was decent. Travis, even, even if his underlying numbers were probably not I, quite that good. I can't remember exactly where I heard it, probably in a, a podcast between Carson Sestouli and Travis Sawchick. Sawchick, who used to cover the Pirates, uh, on a daily basis, talked about Jared Hughes as being one of these impressive people that uh, was very much a leader and very much the the kind of guy in a in a pitching staff that other guys go to to talk about you know how you get a guy out, how I'm throwing a pitch. He's a a pitching guru, and he kind of Sawchick mentioned that he thinks that he will be a pitching coach down the line, and I think that that sort of thing that he that he clearly has some of those intangibles. I think that makes him probably a better bet to come back this year than Torres perhaps, but I think, I think that Jared Hughes comes back more than Torres because Jared Hughes is a better pitcher. Well, there's that too. <laughs> so, so, um, okay. So we got a few guys, I'm not going to go through everybody. Um, we got a few guys who are hitting their first season in arbitration that are interesting. Uh, Jonathan VR, uh, Corey Knable and Jimmy Nelson are all going to be in the first year of arbitration. So they're going to get uh, pretty big pay bumps. Um, let's start with Knable who had, a pretty impressive season as the the closer for pretty much the entire year for the Brewers. Um, he took over pretty early in the season. Uh, Ryan, what do you think he's going to get in his first year of arbitration? So looking at some comparables, some guys who kind of stood out as being in the kind of the same neighborhood, Sam Dyson, who came into his first year of arbitration last year for the uh, um, as the closer for the the Rangers, had a bad year, but coming into the year he was the the established closer or whatever, and he got three and a half million ish in 2015 or i'm sorry for 2017 um so something in that neighborhood maybe plus a little bit more uh trevor rosenthal was kind of hanging out there too as like a four and a half ish million guy i think the going rate for somebody like this in their first year of arbitration a guy who's a closer but maybe doesn't have the history of being a dominant lights out closer is around four ish million so i think that's where i would i would guess he would be and obviously he's coming back yeah. Yes. Obviously, Corey Knievel's coming back. I mean, unless they were to trade him. But I mean, regardless of what the the price is, I mean, it's probably going to be something that they'll they'll find worth playing. I mean, sure, maybe they could trade him, but I, I doubt it at this point. So, you know, JP going forward again, uh, Corey Knievel, big season this year. I think he kind of broke out a bit uh, when he wasn't overused. He looked sharp. Obviously, when he had to pitch a little bit more frequently, stuff got a little bit shaky. So, what do you think of him? For 2018, I mean, is he going to just hold down that spot now for a while, or are we we dealing with uh, a great reliever one season, an all star, and then the next season uh, he can turn into a gas, a gas can again? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, uh, part of the whole issue with relievers, and I know this speaks to, you know, a tattoo that Steve would get on his forearm if needed, is is that relievers are volatile assets, and so it's difficult to figure out. It would be a little bit more profane than that. <laughs> and it would be on, it would probably be on his forehead, to be honest. Like he, he wants the world to see that like as part of his soul. Yes. I think that Corey Knable I 
with anybody throwing only 60 to 80 innings, it's difficult to proclaim anybody to be elite at anything, just given that sample. And he's shown some, some struggles with his off-speed pitches at times. He's shown an ability to really struggle to find the strike zone at times. Um, so there are some warning signs to think that there could be five or six starts early next year that he could struggle to do those things. He could struggle to throw strikes. He could struggle to throw his off-speed pitch for strikes. And then suddenly people are wondering, you know, where did Corey Knable go? Should we find a different closer? And all of the natural freakouts that everybody has about uh, a reliever, especially a reliever who's supposed to be great. Um, and for myself, I need I just need to see more of a track record than one year before I'm going to rely on anybody being elite going forward. That makes sense. Um, okay, so uh, a guy who I think everybody is excited about coming into the season, uh, he was a disappointment, and then also second base was a big talking point for the season as far as finding talent. Uh, Jonathan VR, um, first year of arbitration. Uh, Ryan, what do you have for a number for him? I best I can tell because of having such a down year this year. Um, the the previous year, the 2016 numbers will come into play to a degree, but kind of eyeballing around and looking at it. I'm guessing somewhere between one and a half to two million for VR, which I think is a pretty much a no-brainer. You do that at least for you know one more year to see if he can recapture some of that form. You had you had some numbers for the second half this year. He was not that far off in the second half this year from what he had been. He just started so slowly that the numbers were more down overall. Yeah, I mean, if you look at VR from in, in August and September, he slashed 333, 356, and slugged 500. I mean, so he was... But again, the playing time was kind of sporadic. And by the end of the season, even though he was hitting that in, for the last two months, I mean, the games he played in September, he was getting one at-bat a game for, like, almost the final two weeks. Right, because, so, yeah, he was rarely starting... It was, Unless it was, it was those random starts in center field he got. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of an odd situation. Neil Walker was playing well, so, I mean, right. you couldn't see him just, like, taking his place. And then they tended to uh, go with Sogard when, um, you know, Walker needed a day off or they wanted to start Walker at first because it was a bad matchup or something like that for, you know, Thames or Aguilar. Well, so I think the fact that David Stearns has been outspoken saying second base is a position that they need to address in the offseason tells you – quite a bit in terms of what the plan for Jonathan VR is next season. It's not, if it is going to be anything, it's going to be an Aaron and Perez sort of role. Um, yeah. They clearly it, aren't handing him a position. No. And you've also got Mauricio Dubon, who is very capable at playing a lot of defensive positions and offers a lot of things that Jonathan VR doesn't offer or, but I do, you know, we've talked about it a lot. So there's no re- need to like rehash the whole thing, but Jonathan VR, the talent didn't disappear. Right, so, that guy's still in there. Yeah, they need right. to, they need to make sure he at least gets an opportunity. Right, right? because and the, hate but the to hard thing is walk. that the hard thing is that the Brewers don't necessarily have the luxury of trying to give him an opportunity to figure those things out anymore. I mean, there's no reason that you want to have Jonathan VR getting 400 plate appearances next year and having him in your plans to get 400 plate appearances next year if this is not what he is. I mean, is there something he could do in the spring that would win him a job, or is it just going to be 
he's likely to make the team because he can play multiple positions and he'll just need to hopefully get off to a hot start to, to claim more of a starting position. JP. I mean, I was going to say, to be honest, I think he needs to be able to show he can hit lefties. I think if he, if, if he can show that his swing looked awful from the right hand side, which is totally out of character for his, his career. Um, but he had no power. He was casting out the he was casting out the bat, so he was losing his entire power position throughout. And he needs to be able to show those things. If he wants, if they could go out and identify a lefty, like a left-handed batter, and they could find somebody that you know, which they wanted to do with Eric Sogard, and they wanted to have VR play against lefties, and they could come, out, they could have this this platoon situation that they felt like it was an overall good position at second base. VR couldn't do it. And there's not really a huge part in which you'd want to get somebody who's a right-handed second base, right-handed hitter at second base to be the the short side of the platoon. And then you'd be saying you want to rely on Jonathan VR to be your left-handed hitting second baseman. Who's going to be the strong side of the platoon when he's the person you have the most questions about. Well, the advantage he would have though, over say in the past, when you had that issue where there's no such thing as a platoon second baseman or a backup second baseman, the advantage he would have is he can also play short and third. So he's your backup. He yeah. can back up at the other positions where somebody like Scooter Jeanette or even you know Travis Shaw or whatever, those guys weren't necessarily able to back up at all three positions. He clearly can. So that gives him, uh, I think, a pretty big leg up on that. One thing I was wondering, I think he's a pretty good candidate to go down and play some winter ball. I think that that's a thing, especially because he, he got some spotty action throughout, especially the second half of the year. I think that we could see him go and potentially play in winter ball if, if the Brewers and he, gets he to be sort a, of agreed that he gets this to be is a center it, fielder in winter ball because uh, that experimenting with that during the season certainly didn't work out very well. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I think that Jonathan VR needs to take a couple of months off. Well, that could be too, and and he just needs to he needs to reset. Well, but he was playing a little bit better in the second half, so perhaps. Maybe reinforcing that. I don't know. Who knows? But even yeah. playing better, apparently they didn't have full confidence in him. They because didn't, he, he never I, I hit Neil Walker. Either. So I didn't think he looked a lot better, to be honest. Like I didn't think his I I couldn't believe how much power he lost in his swing. Like his swing genu- genuinely looked bad. Um which is not something we saw in twenty sixteen. Yeah. And that's fair. So uh, the final guy we wanted to cover, um, first year in arbitration, this is going to be a tough one because uh, Jimmy Nelson's going to get paid this year. And in 2018, uh, it looks like he's not going to pitch. At a minimum, he's going to miss a couple months, and we're probably looking at the majority of next season before he, he gets back on the mound. We, won't, we probably won't even know till 19 if he's really back. Right. Um, best I could tell, I, I looked around the, the comps actually for first year guys in RB last year were interesting. Garrett Cole ended up in the mid threes. I mean, it was a fairly low number. Um, you had sort of, you know, it, there was, what it was Carlos Martinez was about 4.6 was what was projected there. I think Nelson's probably going to get somewhere around $4 million. I think him and Canable stand to get somewhere in the same neighborhood. Um, it's just hard to know, one, because Nelson has sort of a track record of being, you know, mediocre before this year, then had a really good year, but it didn't necessarily show up. He was 12-6 and six and had a mid-threes ERA, and these are the sorts of things that arbitration pays on. So he probably doesn't figure to get 
he, he figures to be one of those guys who's underpaid based on what his overall numbers were because he's not putting up the numbers that arbitration weirdly awards at this point. But then there's also the factor of, well, he's who knows how much he's actually going to play. And I don't know. I don't believe. Maybe you can clarify this if you know JP. I don't know if you're allowed to take into consideration injury status at all. The fact that a guy just had surgery and is likely to miss a bunch of time, if that even is allowed to be brought up at an arbitration hearing, I don't think it is, but I'm not sure. I don't think so, because arbitration is based off of paying you for past results, not projecting how you're going to do in the future. Right. So, I mean, but I think obviously you bring him back. There's, you know... There, there doesn't seem to be any question of that, and to see, and there's it, no way that he's going to break the bank, so it doesn't even really matter. No, he doesn't have enough of a track record before the season to yeah. really make a case that he's going to cash but, in. But somewhere huge. around four million, yeah. But and again, then, yeah, you don't get paid going forward. Like, let's make that clear as far yeah. as the way these arbitration cases work. Yeah. And then, were we just going to like, is Hernan Perez coming back? That's that's something I kind of wonder too. I have no idea. Like that's I mean, a- I don't I don't think there's need to have both Jonathan VR and Aaron Perez back, but I also think that Aaron Perez is the type of guy that Craig Council likes to be able to have because he can play infield or outfield. Well, yeah, that's why it's weird because it seems like uh VR has talent, but they aren't really sold on him. Uh Perez probably isn't a high ceiling guy, but they just like his versatility. So I don't know. Do you go ceiling? And or I think do you they like versatility. Probably his presence too. He's that kind of a guy. Also, yeah. I mean, I do, I think that Jonathan VR is as well. To be fair, yeah, um, I haven't heard anything like VR is a but bad club. Yeah, I was just saying Hernan was good. I wasn't making any comment in comparison. I do think that Mauricio Dubon it, it makes the makes the situation more difficult. I but, think that I think Dubon is a better player than both. Yeah, you know, he's certainly a better player than. Paris and, and BR were last year. Um, I mean, but does, you're not expecting Dubon to be on the club to start the season. I mean, he had how many I think plate appearances? You think I don't? Th- I don't think he needs. To, what is he going to develop? It's not like he's got a, po- a lot of power. It's not like he strikes out a bunch. I mean, I don't necessarily. He defensively, he doesn't need to grow. Sure, maybe. I mean, d- ha- do they have? Uh, because if he were to come up at this point, they would need him to be the backup at shortstop and second base at a minimum, correct? And also correct. probably third base. Uh, I don't know about third base. I mean, if you're carrying if you're carrying both Thames and Aguiar heading in next year, which at this point it looks like they will, because you know both are right. But know, I'm not I'm saying not. that I'm not saying that Dubon would take both Perez and VR spot. He would just take one of them. So if you were worried about third base, then you'd keep Perez. Oh, understood. Okay, I'm well. VR I'm played up. some third, didn't he? he uh, li- not. Much, I don't think, but Dubon has played third. Sure. I mean, he can, okay, and he can also actually play some center field. Yeah. So, okay, uh, let's move on. Uh, we're going to discuss some team awards. Uh, we'll run through that since season's over. We're going to do the uh, major league team awards this week, and then I think we'll save our minor league awards for next week. So, uh, if you're uninterested in the major leagues, uh, you can just fast forward to the end where we say goodbye and wait. No, for they next can't. Week. They well, absolutely cannot. We already talked about Miller Park, so why would they uh, need anything else in this uh, episode today? So um, we're going to start off. We're going to go with the – do you want to go from bottom to top or uh, save team, team MVP for last? Sure. Okay. Um, so I guess we'll start off. Uh, Ryan, who did you think was the most improved player the Brewers had this season? Jimmy Nelson. I mean, it, it's sort of easy and 
It is yeah, kind of a weird one, yeah. It's the easy, but it, yeah. I mean, he clearly took the biggest leaps forward in terms of what he was doing, um, both of his peripherals and his, his run prevention. He turned himself into a legitimate top of the rotation. Not necessarily true ace, but I mean, he was in that, he definitely, you can make cases in, that he's in that consideration now. And um, yeah, he, he, he became the pitcher that we had been hoping he was going to become for a long time. And yeah, that's. I don't know, there's not much more to say about it than that. JP, you have uh, somebody different, or you like uh, Jimmy Nelson as well? I think Jimmy Nelson makes the most sense. Um, I, I had, I think I mean, I'd there actually, are a lot of guys. I was gonna say, I think I'd actually give it to Chase Anderson, um, just because Chase Anderson, throughout his career, I think was basically a mid four ERA guy. And then suddenly came down. And I know that the underlying performance makes this a more complicated situation, right? Like the underlying numbers. But, I mean, he was his best ERA ever in the big leagues prior to the 2017 season was a 401 ERA with Arizona as a rookie in 2014. And then suddenly came and did it and posted a 274 ERA in the midst of a competitive, a, a team that was competing for the NL central and you had uh, you had Chase Anderson, I think statistically was had a better uh, run improvement uh, like a gap than Jimmy Nelson did. I, sure. I do wonder, I think that Jimmy Nelson is the better pitcher. I fully take the point that in terms of his raw stuff and everything, he was, you know, probably the most improved. But Chase Anderson, if you do want to look at just the impact of how much he improved uh, in terms of run pre- run prevention, when looking backwards, I do think that that's actually somewhat more important than trying to use predictive numbers going forward. Um, I mean, he went from, he went from a negative one point one wins above replacement using BP's numbers in 2016 to being almost a three win player in 2017. That's a that's a massive jump. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, one thing when I look at these that I like to to think about when we get to the, you know, finish the season out, um, when we're kind of giving out some of these awards, I think it's okay to just look at like, what did they do? What was their run prevention for the season? You know, and so most improved, maybe we want to look at some peripheral stats. But you know, when we get to talking about Cy Young, I'm fine with those guys, you kind of say, well, Chase Anderson was just able to prevent more runs in the season he pitched. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, there's yeah, yeah. a certain point where, okay, this is what they did th- this season. Let's judge them on that as opposed to, yeah. you know, going forward. Because we're talking but about 2017, not 2018. We are. But uh, if I am going to throw the wins above replacement out there, I do think it is worth noting that Jimmy Nelson went from an, a negative one, you know, so he was worth negative one runs in 2016. It was a four-win player in 2017. Yeah. So right. that, that's a bigger jump, and I fully understand that as well. Um, also, we should probably give a quick shout out to Domingo Santana, who also had a monster breakout season. Well, that's yeah, what, uh, absolutely. I, again, the most improved talking about these guys, there are a lot of guys we can talk about for the Brewers that fit into that category. And I think offensively, yeah. Domingo Santana is probably right up there. I mean, if uh, um, if Travis Shaw, since he came in, the, you know, he wasn't a Brewer last season. We don't think of him necessarily. But, uh, you know, if you were a Red Sox fan. Oh, Shaw's going to come up later, though. Yeah. So um, let's get to uh, our Rookie of the Year. Uh, JP, who do you have as the uh, Rookie of the Year this season for the Brewers? 
Well, I do think that it should be clarified is Orlando Arcia being considered a rookie or no. He he, he doesn't. He just barely missed. Yeah, he went over the threshold last year barely. Okay, so uh, Manny Pena, it, it gets the gets the call for me. Was for Manny the, also? Was he a technical rookie? Yeah. Wow. Okay, I didn't even realize that he was I'm, technically I'm rookie almost, status. Almost positive that he was a rookie status. Okay, so go ahead <laughs> talk about Manny Pena. <laughs> I mean, I just think one of the the crazy things about yeah, so Manny Pena had. Well, I don't know what the game threshold is, but he only had 81 play appearances last year. Um, it's days on the roster, and it's 45. Because the Brewers well, are going to have both Hayter and, um, or I'm sorry, uh, Woodruff and Phillips just barely cross the 45 threshold. So they're going to come off of uh, prospect list this winter. Because so I have, no, I have no idea if Manny Pena was on the team for 45 just go days last just year. Go I, don't, I, don't, gonna... I don't think so. But the fact that, Manny Pena was not like, not only did I not think of him as potentially the best catcher on the Brewers roster this year, which I did think that Andrew Susak had probably the inside run at who I would have said had the potential to be the best catcher. Manny Pena was the throw in to the Francisco Rodriguez to, to the K rod deal to, to Detroit, right? Like Javier Betancourt was the, the guy that, you know, everybody would looked at. He was, 20 to 25 ish in, in the range in the, in the tiger system. And everybody looked at him as a guy who could potentially be a utility infielder. And he struggled a little bit in delay this year and flamed out. And Manny Pena, he quietly got added to the roster as, as the player to be named later and made it last year into the big leagues as, as a guy that I think he just came up mostly in September, but I could be, I could be not remembering that correctly. And then this year came in, was a two-win player, hit hit almost 280. And I think that Manny Pena was was very, very good this year. I know that Stephen Vogt came in and, t- and took some playing time away from him, so he could have been even more than a two-win player. But I, I think he was excellent. Well, and he fought his way onto the roster because he certainly he did. Jet, jumped Jet Bandy and yep. uh, Andrew Susak. And then, yeah, like you said, he split time with, with Vogt. Um, so, Would you feel better about Pinez maybe a 80-game-a-year starter as opposed to a 120? Well, we're talking, we're talking about catchers, so I think most of them are. Well, yeah, just I did. the idea that you'd maybe you'd maybe have somebody to you know balance with him on that. Well, certainly, I think that you would. I think Manny Pena, Manny Pena still has some question marks in terms of his plate, his approach at the plate. Um, but I mean, for how much everyone loved Martin Maldonado, I think that Manny Pena gave gave you everything in that Martin Maldonado role, aside from having a better bat. Than, than Maldi had. But, you know, Manny Pena, I, for myself, I didn't have any question marks about him defensively in terms of his ability to throw, in terms of his ability to call the game. In ter- like, Jimmy Nelson spoke very, very well of Manny Pena being able to call a game and be able to work with him in identifying uh, hitter weaknesses and to be able to call a game better. Like Jimmy Nelson, I think, in his complete game shutout, said that I think it was like the fourth or the fifth inning – Manny Pena came out and basically said, I'm noticing this, this, like, follow my lead. And Jimmy Nelson said he didn't shake him off the entire rest of the game, and he cruised. Mm-hmm. And so it's like he brings so many good things to the team. Uh, I'm very, very impressed with everything. And I saw it. If you, <laughs> I, 
I don't even think I would have even had that on my radar as a possible projection to make in terms of him being a two plus win player. Right. Yeah. No, that was completely, completely out of the blue. Um, Moving on. Ryan, uh, the, how my about rookie you, of the year? Yeah, let's yeah. do your rookie of the year now. Josh Hader. I, I was, yeah, it, it definitely Josh Hader. Um, though Pena, if he's, yeah, the, the rookie status, that would definitely be an argument. But Hader was just so impressive at what he did. And you could see him growing. Boring. Yeah. <laughs> you, could see him, you could see him growing somewhat as a pitcher he still needs to if he's going to take that step forward he has to get better with the um with the secondary stuff there, there's no way around that for him to be a starter that's what's going to have to happen but what we saw this year was a guy who could absolutely flat out dominate out of the bullpen and that is you know that is an extremely valuable thing no matter what you say steve it's it's an extremely valuable thing. I just don't trust that they'll do it again next year. But Hader's got a pedigree that you would hope that at a minimum he could dominate out of the bullpen, and we're kind of hoping that he gets in the rotation at some point. So are you giving Josh Hader the rookie status because of what he could be and what you hope he will be or because of what he did this year? Uh, both. I think it's uh, for rookie of the year, it's, it's appropriate to have a, uh, an eye towards both. No, it's not. You can't just be like what they did. Well, I mean, there's clearly a case for what he did this season. Um, you know, he ended up with 1.8 war on baseball reference, you know, and he was coming out of the bullpen. Manny Pena was 2.6 war. And Manny Pena was up all season. Hater was up for half a season. Yes. Don't defend him. <laughs> hey, I'm just here to lay out both sides. What so. is this? Yeah, we're, we're but, trying to turn this into a belated uh, embrace debate thing. Yeah, here. we're going to embrace debate. Hey, yell at each other. First um, takeification. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I, again, just like most improved, the team doesn't play like it did if you don't have multiple options for, you know, rookies and most improved players. Like, there had to be guys that overperformed in both cases yeah. for this team to win 86 games when no one expected it. So... Uh, moving on, let's do our uh, Cy Young. Ryan, who do you have for Cy Young this year for the Brewers? I mean, I already picked Jimmy Nelson for one, and I do appreciate the difference between uh, the peripherals and the actual run prevention. So I'll go with Chase Anderson. Chase Anderson was... <laughs> I already talked about Jimmy Nelson, so I'm going to talk about Chase Anderson. I was just kind Is of writing okay down with... like, oh, who do, who do you pick? And you're talking about Jimmy Nelson. Then Is Nelson, that okay with you? It yeah, Chase, Chase Anderson... Uh, Anderson did have, you know, the impact that way. He did, you know, post a a sub three ERA, which we haven't seen much of from Brewers starters. And he did a great job preventing runs and took a big step forward. And again, going forward, you wouldn't expect it to be, you know, necessarily. I got to call shenanigans on this a little bit. Okay. I I I feel like there was an injury that, that you're, you're taking into account here for Jimmy Nelson as an incomplete season when, when Jimmy Nelson pitched more innings. Absolutely. I was going to say, because my, my favorite part of this is going to be my Cy Young is Jimmy Nelson because he threw more innings. Well, Chase Anderson did miss time. So he did. Yeah. He only threw 140 innings. Right. I can, you're going to give him the Cy Young, even though he only threw 140 innings. Apparently I am. Apparently I am. And I mean, he did end up. So he was better at preventing runs than, and he ended up. He ended up with more uh, baseball reference WAR than Jimmy Nelson did, 
even though though I think that depends on what site you go to because again I think I that did I said baseball reference yeah that flips if you go to like baseball prospectus and it flips big if you go to Fangraphs because they love them some peripherals in there yeah so yeah. again that all depends but I guess so JP I mean we already discussed Jimmy Nelson you said that he was your Cy Young um, yeah obviously is it mostly the innings thing or just you flat out think he was that much better this season no I think it's the, I think it's the innings piece I think. I think Jimmy Nelson being able to put in a well, what did he have this year? Something like a is a three a three forty three forty nine something like that ERA, and but the fact that he was able to throw nearly one hundred and eighty innings where Chase Anderson only threw one hundred and forty, I think that's just a difficult position to give somebody the Cy Young. I I mean, I actually think that there's a discussion to be had for Zach Davies just in terms of being able to to carry the workload over such a strong period of time. Um, but I think Jimmy Nelson gives you the mixture between being able to throw innings and being effective. And I and I fully understand this is subjective, but if you wanted some if you wanted one pitcher out there in a game you needed to win, you wanted it to be Jimmy Nelson rather than Chase Anderson. I think that that's for myself and who I would call upon for a one for a, somebody who needed to stop a losing streak or somebody who needed to throw a one game wild card. I I would have chosen Jimmy a healthy Jimmy Nelson over a healthy Chase Anderson. Was it this Unless year? Unless it's against I mean, the Reds. Chase Chase Anderson. I, I mean, when he was out there, you know, no matter what we expected, the guy didn't give up runs. Even when, like I said, I think I mentioned it in the the past podcast. I thought when he went down with his injury, like when he came back, we might see a little bit of regression. And we never really mm-hmm. saw that. And yeah. he was better at preventing runs than Jimmy Nelson this season. I mean, he was. Jimmy Nelson was, he wasn't even a half better, half run better than Zach Davies this season in total. Zach Davies was at a three, nine ERA. Jimmy Nelson was at like three and a half. Right. I mean, he wasn't, his run prevention wasn't great, even. I mean, it was still really good, but um, Chase Anderson, he was a, a sub-three ERA guy. Again, no, and, I, and we're looking at the season like it already happened, not not going forward. Yeah, yeah. But I do think that it's worth noting that one of the biggest problems with Jimmy Nelson's season looking at his run prevention is he had a, over a five ERA in April. And then after that, he was pretty much lights out. Well, he had a lights out run, and then he, you know, he regressed a little bit before he got hurt. Well, yeah, like, I, I mean, he was still, he, he started to get, he was still really good. Yeah. Yeah. But that in, happens. In, it does. But I mean, in May, he had a 228 ERA, 288 ERA in June, July, he had a 323 ERA. I mean, like for a better part of a hundred innings for three months, he was, he was great. Like he wasn't even just a, a solid mid rotation guy. I mean, he was somebody that you wanted up at the top. I mean, and I guess I, what's, what's nice and here I said that I know that it's subjective. Right? It is. It is. And what's nice here is we can actually have a debate between a few good pitchers on the roster yeah. as opposed to like, and we didn't even mention Corey Knable who could also be in this discussion. Exactly. Or in past seasons, I wouldn't pick Knable obviously. Um, but, <laughs> but Zach Davies again, in a lot of seasons would have been a Cy Young for the Brewers. Sure. I, I mean, that, that's why this season was, you know, it's good that we can actually have a debate about it this year. So, yeah. um, But moving on, let's go to our, our team MVPs. JP, who's your team MVP? Uh, it was Travis Shaw. I think Travis Shaw, for me, being a four-win player, being able to 
hit 30 plus homers. I know it, everybody's going to point at the juiced ball scenario to make that to, to make that a little bit more complicated, but his true average this year was about 290. Um, I think he was, and he was as at least league average at third base defensively. So I was very, I think just well-rounded performance. I think he, there was nothing that you could point at Travis Shaw and, and want more. I mean, he had over 600 plate appearances, played 144 games, 31 homers, drove in a hundred RBI and was a four win player. I, and, and, it was me, a, a, and it was a position our, that we weren't sure what was going to happen this season yes. for the Brewers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. RBIs, though. RBIs. This is being built. Uh, this is, this is. He's uh, just uh, saying what he did this season. It's a preposterous decision, and it are, are cannot you, be allowed are, to stand. Is this a grammatical thing about you would prefer it to be RBI rather than RBIs, or are you suggesting that those no, things no, no, didn't the, exist? He's no. mocking the fact that you actually like used uh, RBI in any, any way. Yeah, and you can you can you you can use statistics like RBI to show what happened over the course of a year. It doesn't show anything in terms of going forward. Sure, sure. Okay, um, Ryan. Any, so since you're a genius and you want to trash, uh, oh yeah, JP's this is pick, this is completely who, completely. who are you going off board with to make your pick for team MVP? I'm going to go with Travis Shaw. <laughs> Whoa, look at that! <laughs> That's Man, insane because he was <laughs> he was the best position player this year. I think you could make an argument for Domingo Santana, but honestly, I mean, it, it was Travis Shaw. Um, and there is some there's some interestingness too. At a point in the season, I think that there would have been a potential case for Orlando Arcia was coming up strong and depending on what you think of defensive metrics and which ones you like and which ones you don't there's some massive disagreement on how good he is defensively between the various metrics that are out there if you take the high end of that which and, is which one which i believe is fraa right which one is the one that hates him uzr which one sucks <laughs> so anyway, my my point being that he's trying to draw it out of you. That <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's, UZR sucks. That's, Everybody, yeah, that's, like just <laughs> flat out. There's no point in using it. Sure. So at any rate, the point is is that Arcia had you know you could potentially make a case that he was he was valuable, but he did slump with the bat over the last I don't know six ish weeks of the season. He had a, um, yeah, Arcia had a slow start and then. Got hot and then yeah he kind of slumped so he's up and down but again a young player he's twenty playing in his age twenty two season yeah and that's you know in in a position that's up the middle you're not expecting a ton from the bat anyways no but he was a solid three win player oh yeah oh I'm not taking anything away from yeah Orlando no, I think Arcia. he was I think defensively he was special right and you can make you can make the case that based on the defense that that he should be in there and Santana was also very good um, you know massive improvement with the bat obviously and playing right field at an acceptable level. So maybe not. <laughs> no, not, not quite acceptable, JP. I don't, I, I mean, acceptable if you take into consideration how good he was at the plate. But if you just think about like defensively, how good a right fielder is, I think well, he's, how much is I he going to need a defensive? Average. How much is he going to need a defensive replacement next season? I think that's one of the biggest, that's one of the biggest question marks in terms of why, whether or not Domingo Santana is on the team next year. You think I, whether or not that like, okay, I, I'm going to have to clarify this. Because I was going to say, I, what are, what are you right. saying now? <laughs> I'm saying that if you want to trade for an impact arm and somebody comes and says, you either have to give Domingo Santana or Lewis Brinson, 
there is a case to be made for saying that Domingo Santana is the guy that you would give up over Lewis Brinson. I, could Lewis Brinson be a three-win player like Domingo Santana was this year just based on what his defensive profile is and minimal being, competent hitting. Yeah, being a competent bat. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think he could hit 230, 240 with 20 homers, steal, I don't know, 20, 25 bases and play plus defensive center field. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think that Domingo Santana has to be – he has to be special with the bat in order to make him – and by special, I mean above above league average in right field – to be able to make him palatable defensively. Sure. And San, again, Santana hit 278, 371, 505 this season. Yeah. So, he's, I mean, he's, he's wonderful. He's yeah. Wonderful it's it's great. Season. He's not a, he's not a big slugger. I no. mean, 505 for a, a slugging percentage for a right fielder who, you know, you kind of want in the middle of the lineup in, in this run environment, isn't, you know, a guy who's really just pounding the ball all the time. I think he had, he had kind of some runs where he hit with power as opposed to just kind of sustained power through the season. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think all of those are legit and it'll be interesting to see what they do um, next season. Again, I mean, we've talked about a number of times already, you know, the different ways that they're going to have to, to manage that, that outfield next year, whether it's, you know, you're just rotating Santana, Brinson, Braun and Phillips, or, you know, again, if they want to make a move. And like you said, they want to make a move. Santana may be a guy that they want to trade high on because he had pedigree coming in to the major yeah. leagues. And and the biggest thing is that everybody wants to be able to play this game in which you sell high on players, but when the moment comes, nobody wants to actually trade players who are good. Santana, right? who Santana's good legitimately a guy you could sell high on. Yeah, and that's not saying that he would be bad, but in order to get good players, you have to give up good players. And right. If you want to be able to make or a you can sign them for, in free agency, <laughs> which we're going yeah, long. So we didn't even get to that. This I was going to say, I'm not necessarily sure which players those exist or of those exist at the moment. Um, but I, I don't advocate at this moment thinking about what I would do this off season. I don't think I would advocate moving Domingo Santana. I think that there is a, there is for the right pitcher, a an argument for saying Domingo Santana is a player you could be willing to give up if you did not have to add too much to the to the um, to the package. If somebody comes strong with an offer, I don't think you want to necessarily go out and shop Domingo Santana. But if somebody comes to you and says, "What about Santana?" You know, and it's involving potentially a a big time player, I think yeah, you definitely listen and you potentially. But you only do it if you're getting an elite established big leaguer already you're not doing it for prospects you're not doing it for first year players yeah i think it, it has to be yeah i think it's exactly gonna be right. it's yeah. gonna be Elite a difficult established to... and i would say with with some with some excess value in terms of they're they're in, under a contract and they have you know a reasonable yeah. salary and all of that yeah but it's gonna be a very difficult and specific deal they're not going around to every team and asking you know what right. do you want to give us for uh, Domingo Santana. So, absolutely. Any other thoughts on the team this season? Otherwise, we're going to wrap this thing up pretty quick. Are we doing most disappointing player? No, we were going to skip that one. We were just right. sticking with. We're going to. It's award season. Not we. We're going to take a dump on this. Yeah, guy we're going to go out. We're going to go out on a high note um, instead of taking. Yeah, like Ryan said. Uh, well, not <laughs> so eloquently said. Yes. Um, yeah. So I. I mean, we have plenty of time to. I think talk about guys who will need to improve next year. Um, 
as the off season goes on. So, um, anyways, thanks guys. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate, and you can submit questions at milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page uh, for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and you can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.